It's time for White Coat Wednesday. Dr. Mitch Shulman joins us. Good morning, Dr. Mitch. Good morning. Wait, wait, wait. I have to put on my white coat. Okay, there I'm ready. Go, go okay. ahead. <laughs> um, I, I know my uh, one of my nephews who's a dentist uh, went through a ceremony where they presented him with his white coat. Does that happen for yes. doctors as well? Yeah, so um, doctors, medical students get a short white coat, and there is a very special ceremony where that's bestowed upon them, and family and friends are allowed to attend, and it's a, a huge moment. Uh, it actually... It's almost archaic, I guess, in a certain sense, but you are entering into a special fraternity or paternity or maternity or group Mm -hmm. um, of people. And what's special about it is we're given access to the deepest, most intimate, most important, most sensitive, most whatever parts of people's lives. And so whereas every job is important and all of us have an important role to play, I think Doctors sort of have a special responsibility uh, towards people because of the sensitivity of what we do. And that's what this ceremony um, emphasizes. I'll call it sacred for want of a better terminology, but I think people understand what I mean. But the special trust, that's an even better word, that is bestowed upon you. And symbolically, that's when you put on the white coat. Yeah. Well, interesting to hear about it because, you know, I've been to presentation, you know, when people are called to the bar and stuff like that or sworn. Morning as citizens, and I can see how significant an occasion it has to be. Okay, so let's talk medicine. Uh, Prostate cancer, so that affects half of our listeners. Uh, Prostate cancer treatment can wait for most men? Yeah, well, yeah, except, um, yeah. So this beautiful study in the New England Journal of Medicine, they basically looked at men who were diagnosed with prostate cancer back in the 1990 to 2009 period and then followed them. And they gave them three options. If you were a low-grade cancer that had not spread, and these are two very important words, they said either we can watch and see what happens and, if necessary, accelerate our treatment, or we can immediately give you radiation or hormonal therapy, or we can immediately take it out by surgery. And they found at the end of the day, the survival rate was the same, not the complication rate, but the survival rate. Now, that's important. Most men who develop prostate cancer will die with prostate cancer, not because of prostate cancer. In most, but not all men, it's such a slow-growing tumor that something else, unfortunately, is going to get you before the prostate does. But that means that you've been screened properly, you're not ignoring it, that they've told you that it's a low-grade form of prostate cancer. 15% of these cancers are not and are extremely aggressive and can't be treated this way at all. And you're willing to be followed in a proper way on a regular basis and, and have repeat tests and ultrasounds and biopsies as necessary. Under those circumstances, what this study reassures us is either of those three options is as likely to work in terms of survival. What people haven't mentioned in these studies, though, is you had double the risk of uh, metastasis of the cancer. So if we'll say 5% of the people who had radiation and hormonal or had surgery went on to have spread of their cancer, 9% of these people, they didn't die, but their cancer spread. Now, that's important because spread of prostate cancer can cause bone and other problems, pain and suffering in other ways. So that's why what this study really tells you is be screened. It's important to know early as possible what's going on down there. Don't be squeamish about it. 
If it's low grade, have an intelligent conversation with your physician. Am I going to need surgery because it's aggressive? If it's low grade, can I do watchful waiting? And how carefully you have to follow me to make sure that this doesn't spread. And once you have that information, you can decide, I want surgery, I want hormonal therapy. I want chemo, I want brachytherapy or radiation therapy or something else, or no, I'm comfortable with just watching and waiting and let's see where this goes and catching it before it has a chance to spread or do anything nasty. Okay, so this next... But this tells oh, you that sorry. this is a reasonable way. Sorry, it's I was just, cutting uh, just you off to reinforce, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got a no, bit no, of never, a lag on, our, on our feed this morning. Okay, so uh, not a lot of yeah. time still on the clock, but I wanted to get to this next story, which doesn't come as a big surprise to me, uh, about how a prescription for depression should actually, in addition to whatever other measures, should be physical activity. Yeah, without question. Now, this is a lovely bit of work. What they've done is they've looked at all the studies. These are what we call meta-analysis. So they look at a huge number of studies over a long period of time looking at this. And if you are able to exercise, and it's mild to moderate depression, uh, a, a reasonable form of vigorous exercise, not too vigorous, you don't have to kill yourself running a marathon, but a fairly rigorous form of exercise over a minimum of about that seems to work best if it's around short term for about 12 weeks so we're not talking about training for a marathon we're not talking about long-term stuff we're not talking about really uh, taxing yourself horribly but what we are saying is if you're able to and don't forget it's not easy sometimes when you're depressed to get up the wherewithal but if you're able to exercise should be part of your treatment regimen and in fact many studies have shown that exercise if you're able to do it and again i don't want to dump and make people feel guilty many people can't when they're depressed or anxious but if you can can actually work as well for mild and moderate depression mild and moderate anxiety can often work as well as medication without those side effects and with all the benefits that exercise brings you so definitely something to consider meanwhile for uh, migraine sufferers this would be welcome news apparently a nasal spray that may provide some relief yeah, not yet approved in Canada, okay. but this is one of a family of medications, the uh, calcium peptide, a calcitonin peptide uh, antagonists. And basically, there's a specific pathway within your brain that seems to regulate pain. And previously, the only way of dealing with this was the, in this family of medications was to inject them, which is not really a very comfortable thing to do, and it doesn't really work very quickly that way. It turns out that if you do it with a spray, this form of the medication, it gets into your brain really quickly and it works very effectively to stop a migraine. Now, people out there who have migraine know that your treatment options are not really great and there are not a lot of them. So now that this family of medications can be available to you as a nasal spray, this could be game changing. The problem is it has to now be available. So you have to wait for it. The FDA has approved it. We have to wait for Health Canada to approve it. Dr. Mitch, thank you very much. Good to have you this morning. Always a pleasure. Have a great morning. All right. That's Dr. Mitch Shulman, our medical correspondent.